When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Spain and Croatia served up the game of the tournament. It had it all. Bizarre own goals, dramatic late comebacks and a redemption story in the form of Alvaro Morata. Meanwhile in Romania, France, like Spain, were sent to the brink of extra time after shipping three goals, this time to Switzerland. But ultimately, they would lose out on penalties in another game that could be classed as game of the tournament. Magic Monday has come and gone and now we're hopefully in for terrific Tuesday. I am... Jake from What If Football, this is your daily podcast episode 23, which you can find on all good podcast platforms, Apple, Acast, Spotify and Amazon. And if you are on those platforms, I would be hugely grateful if you could give us a like, a subscribe and a five-star review if you're enjoying the show, if we merit it, of course. After the Euros, we'll be providing three days a week content. We're also on Patreon patreon.com forward slash what if football where after the euros for the price of a little pint here in yorkshire three pounds monthly donation that would be seven days a week content podcast platform podcasts football manager content etc let's get stuck in to the 13 goals on show today so a big team news coming out of the spain croatia game in copenhagen Kaleta Saar was in for the suspended Dejan Lovren. Rebic was in for Ivan Perisic, who was struck down with COVID. Meanwhile, Spain and Luis Enrique chose this time to rest Jordi Alba, who has had a fantastic tournament. In came Jose Gaia and Ferran Torres was in for Gerard Moreno on the wing. So, how did Croatia deal with Spain? Spain, as we know, loved to keep the ball, loved to have 80-90% of the possession. Could they get the ball off them? Well, Croatia how they lined up it was it was a 4-5-1 almost becoming a 6-3-1 with the wingers took dropping back and the wingers uh, the fullbacks tucking in and it was needed the 6-3-1 I think with uh, Spain's wingers they were they were coming inside like Ferran Torres of course Pablo Sarabia was fantastic again he's one of the underrated players of this tournament I believe Jose Guyron Cesaris Pelicueta they, they, they didn't seem to um 
I think one was supposed to go, one was supposed to stay back. As Piliqueta was high um, early on, but I thought Jose Gaia pounding forward. When he got forward, I think Spain uh, Spain were a lot better on the ball attacking-wise. And uh, of course, when they got high, Torres and Sarabia shuffling about them half spaces in between the uh, wingers and fullbacks, creating all sorts of uh, problems for for Croatia. It was nice enough to see... Uh, Josko Vardiol brave enough to go forward in the rare opportunities that uh, Croatia got when he was breaking forward from left back. He had a fantastic game, of course, against Scotland going forward. Juranovic also, he didn't get forward as much, but that's obviously quite obvious that they couldn't do that against this Spain team, which would, of course, just pick Croatia off, at least in the first half or start of the second half anyway. Vardiol's forced Unai Simon into a save on 67 minutes. Simon, of course, had uh, quite the up and down game, didn't he? And that is because the first first breakthrough was quite possibly one of the most bizarre goals you're ever likely to see. Pedri just uh, passed the ball. Pedri again, fantastic. We'll get on to him later. Pedri passed the ball back to uh, Simon from 45 yards and um, probably rivals Patrick Schick for the amount of distance in scoring his own goal. And of course, the back pass was fumbled by Simon, unfortunately for the Athletic Club uh, goalkeeper and Without really doing too much, Croatia had earned themselves apparently a 1-0 lead over Spain and this, of course, drove the attack versus defence game plan into almost extremity. The 6-3-1 there in full effect for Croatia for the rest of the first half there. Possession was increasingly rare for Croatia. You've got Luka Modric, almost a quarterback. He was, he was quite measured on the ball. He was dropping into that sort of... Um, Left wing back role, so you had uh, a full back playing as a fourth centre back. You've got a winger in uh, in Rebic playing as a as a left full back, and you've got Luka Modric almost left wing back in that sort of like left channel. Try to get Croatia out of the defensive third, and he helped out, I think, massively. You could say that he uh, was playing too deep to affect anything for Croatia, but I think he did an instrumental job at least in the first half of um, adding a bit of composure to the Croatia game. And when he goes, I mean, it would be it's after this tournament beat after the World Cup that midfield for Croatia is going to suffer as a result I think even if they do have you know big names Brozovic, Bardel, Kovacic of course, Vlasic they don't none of them have as much composure as Modric and I thought he was very underrated in this game Ante Rebic was mobile on the counter as well I thought Nikola Vlasic was composed going forward of course he couldn't be doing the sort of things that he was doing in the defensive third but when in this what is now a 4-2-3-1 for Croatia, backing away from the 4-3-3. I thought um, Vlasic was uh, very adept at... Uh, once the ball was out and in the middle third, I thought he was good at sort of spraying the ball out and uh, creating chances for his uh, teammates. On the other hand, Bruno Petkovic, who I had clamoured for as well uh, yesterday, I felt that he, he probably wasn't up to scratch with his hold-up. He wasn't mobile enough to get about the uh, Spanish defence, which... This Spanish defence, the two centre-back pairing this time, it was uh, the Man City pairing of Eric Garcia and Eric Laporte. I think uh, Luis Enrique has decided that he needs to go with a left footer in uh, Laporte or Torres and a right footer in Garcia. And um, perhaps hinging the hopes on the, the fact that Laporte and Garcia once um, club teammates. Of course, Garcia has gone to Barcelona now and that will help him in the defensive sort of uh, transitions and, you know, the understanding. And uh, I felt that the centre-backs were probably there to be got at. Uh, Kramaric came on for him at half-time and as a result, Croatia probably pressed a bit more in the second half. And then in this tournament, we've seen a lot of, you know, substitutes 
come on and completely change the game. Mislas Orsic came on and did exactly that here. He was, wow, he was, what a player. Um, direct, forceful in his press, created tons of chances, had the beating of Azpilicueta, obviously. You know, he's come on as a late substitute and uh, provided tons of chances in extra time as well. Um, Unai Simon produced a great, great save off him as well, more than making up for the... Uh, the hash of the back pass that he made in the first half of normal time and more than made up for that in these um, saves in the second half and in extra time. Croatia, they sacrificed quite a lot of um, defensive solidity as the legs got tired. It was more like a slugfest in extra time. Obviously, Spain got those two hammer blows late on in the first half and then it was sort of the... what killed the game and they couldn't... um, couldn't get around the pitch anymore. You see Modric uh, on off for Ivan Usic late on in the second half of extra time. By that point, the game had gone. Obviously, Dalic was trying to um, end the second half of extra time, like the end of the second half of normal time by scoring two late goals, at which point I tweeted that Croatia, the footballing embodiment of the original Carrie films ending where she shoots her hand out of the grave and grabs the <laughs> the little girl there, um, played by Spain in this game with the uh, two goals late on in the uh, second half and all the time. Fortunately for Croatia, they couldn't do it in the in the second half. What did I think to Spain though? I thought the wing-backs were quite high. They've got a very, very um, pronounced defensive structure of the centre-backs and Sergio Busquets in defence, um, whilst the other, you know, seven attack. Well, well one full-back might sort of stick back, which on this occasion was more as Piliquet, although they did get a goal, of course. And the rest are there just to pry open the opposition, pass them to death, find little openings. And I think with the uh, with the little sort of inside runs that Torres and Sarabia were making, I thought that was um, integral to how Spain were going about it. Murata, of course, was fantastic as well. Um, he's got a lot of flack and he's, he's sort of shut those uh, mindless uh, so-called supporters up with his performance last night as well. Uh, he was fantastic on the ball. Um they were waiting for lapses in concentration, Spain, and Vadiol was playing Koke on side for one instance, slow to get to him. Could have been a goal quite easily on another day if it fell to a different player. And he was slow to get out to um, Ferran Torres, who whipped across him for Murata, but unfortunately at this stage, Murata couldn't find the net when he perhaps should have. And it was I thought it was no coincidence that when Gaia um, got forward at left-back, playing the role of Jordi Alba today, or rather last night, um, that Croatia had problems and I thought he needed to do it a little bit more. He did as the game went on, of course, and um, it led to Sarabia blasting him for the equaliser before the halftime break. And Sarabia was so dangerous, sneaking about in little pockets. And I thought, he, I think he's probably been one of, he's probably been Spain's best player this tournament. Obviously, Murat has had this big, well publicised redemption story yesterday. Pedri's been fantastic, breakthrough star. Uh, but Sarabia's done just as much good for the Spanish team. Then those he scored plenty of goals as well, which is always good. Um, I felt Ferran Torres was just as dangerous as well when he wasn't sneaking into the uh, half spaces. He was doing quite good on the flanks as well, be it the right or the left. Provided Aspilicueta with the two-one, uh, with the uh, what seemed to be the winning goal, and of course latched onto that Croatian lapse, which is so poor from a. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, they've all pulled across to the ball and just one crossfield pass did them. Fran Torres sneaks in, scores 3-1, under nines defending again. And um, something that I'd attribute more with Spain than Croatia really, which is a shame. Uh, but Fran Torres put it 
to put it in the net for 3-1. And by that point, you're thinking, oh, it's game over, done and dusted. And uh, with Pedri just controlling, orchestrating things, it reminds me of Iniesta, really. He's sort of drops in between those lines between defence and midfield, all this quick interchange, give and go. And he he's just, he does everything right. And he's just so creative and... If he could add a couple more goals, which, you know, no doubt that he can, and he'd be the complete midfielder for me. And he's got a very, very bright future. He will win the Ballon d'Or, I think, if um, Barcelona are successful, because I think that's all you need to do to win a Ballon d'Or. Have your club and country be successful in the same year, which um, might be why N'Golo Kante might falter in the Ballon d'Or this time around, but we'll get onto that later on, won't we? And um, Spanish defending, I think the two the centre-back partnership, if they can... Uh, get cobbled together and understanding Laporte and Garcia obviously aren't the uh, number one partnership for um, Man City it's probably more the second string isn't it behind behind Stone and Ruben Stones and Ruben Diaz um, I think if they get some more game time together of course Laporte's practically a new signing isn't he um, if they can sort of cobble together that understanding they'll be class um, they were breached first properly because obviously the own goal wasn't they weren't really breached for that were they really um Breached first properly for Orsic's goal. They needed goal line technology, a bit of a goal mouth scramble. And then it sort of, when Spain sat off, that's when that's when the uh, sort of ceded contr- complete control of the game. You can sit off and still have control of the game despite not having possession. But Spain defensively need that possession to, uh, to win games. It's their defensive mechanism to keep the ball, just keep playing it around. If you're 3-1 up at this stage, which is kind of, it's bizarre, really, because what you think of Spain or any sort of, you know, Barcelona, that 3-1 win against Manchester United in the Champions League final, for ex- for instance, keep the ball and that's their defensive mechanism. Just keep the ball and then if you, if the opponents don't have the ball, then they can't score, can they? Oh, well, <laughs> we say that Croatia's first goal was was that, wasn't it? <laughs> but uh, that's just a freak occurrence. Let's uh, agree on that one. And... Obviously, with their tails up, Orsic was just running the show at this stage and he was provided uh, Mario Pasalic, another substitute, which uh, which freshened things up for Croatia, really. They, they pressed a lot in the second half. Um, I'm surprised by that. And um, obviously, new faces allowed them to continue that press well into the stoppage time. And of course, Pasalic gets the third goal. Spain sunk and it looks as though they have to uh, go again in extra time. And ultimately, though, the game would be it would belong to Unai Simon and Alvaro Morata, two people who bounced back in adversity. Morata's goal in extra time was perfect. Chest down, touch, fired it into the top corner, measured, composed, everything that you don't assimilate with Alvaro Morata, the caricature of him being offside, like Pip, the modern day Pippo Inzaghi. Um, here he was just... Fantastic. More the Pippo Inzaghi of the 2007 Champions League final and so many other successes, of course. But the goal, it was fantastic. It was a fantastic story, you know, after missing the penalty in the previous match, all the abuse that he suffered. Finally, the turnaround to be applauded off the pitch by his own fans. Fantastic. And of course, Iathabal makes it five as well, like Emil Heskey did so many years ago. But uh, yeah, it's been completed. When the fifth goal went in, you sense that... um, Croatia had already done that once, already turned it around once, they couldn't do it again. And so it proved Spain go through 5-3, the first team to score in five success, if score five goals in successive European Championship matches. 
Now they go to St. Petersburg for the quarterfinal, which is against Switzerland. And in terms of what Switzerland bring, they will be like Sweden, I think. They've got that mercurial counter-attacking talent in Braille and Bola, which is what Alexander Izak was. They've got some creation in the middle of the park. Jordan Shakiri. I thought it was slightly ineffectual in the France game uh, last night. We'll get onto that, of course. Um, Granit Xhaka will be missing, of course, which is huge for Spain because Granit Xhaka plays plays like Lothar Mateus for Switzerland. is <laughs> fantastic for Switzerland, not so much for his club side. Um, but the, I think the Xhaka yellow card suspension will be uh, will be what wins Spain the game. Any hope of a, another shock for Switzerland might be uh, fizzled out with that one. I think Spain, if they continue the uh, tiki-taka style play, if they don't sit off Switzerland, which will be will be a bit of a, a lapse for them because Harry Seferovic, who have been slagging off all tournament, if he gets in between the two centre-backs for Spain, there will be very big problems, especially if Switzerland continue to use Steven Zuber on the uh, left wing-back role. I think he can be very, very dangerous for Switzerland as well. And it might be a time where they play Zachariah and Freuler in the midfield too, which could be uh, could be very um, interesting to see against that Spanish midfield. But of course, we will uh, preview that tomorrow as it stands, of course, in full. Now for Croatia, Luka Modric may have played his last Croatia game, could possibly stretch to the World Cup. There's potential to uh, play at the World Cup because it is only 18 months away now. And in terms of next, in terms of fixtures... They've got trips away to Russia and Slovakia in September's World Cup qualifiers, which on paper are Croatia's hardest games. The top of the group, and with the players they have, they should qualify for another World Cup, which would be their third successive World Cup tournament. But again, in the European Championships, it's another early exit. They've still yet to win a knockout stage match at the European Championships. After this short break... We'll be uh, unleashing a trivial teaser, which plenty of you got yesterday. And of course, we'll be reviewing France versus Switzerland and previewing the huge games that are to come today. Welcome back. And we have a trivial teaser for you today. But first, yesterday's answer. And it was, of course, Jordan Shakiri. And well done to Jake, Kyle from the Teammates app, George, Dean, Jod and Clout with a K. You all got Jaden Shakiri, so I'm going to make it a little tougher for you today. Today I am a central midfielder. I've been managed by Rafael Benitez and Thomas Tuchel. Some of my teammates have been Luca Toni, Dries Mertens, Vlad Kirikes, Pepe Reina and Engolo Kante. I am a central midfielder. I've played underneath Rafael Benitez and Thomas Tuchel. And I've played alongside Luca Toni, Dries Mertens, Vlad Kirikes, Pe- Pepe Reina and Engolo Kante. If you think you know the answer, do what the aforementioned names did. Tweet me at whatif underscore YouTube and we will reveal the answer on tomorrow's show where we'll be, of course, reviewing England versus Germany, Sweden and Ukraine and previewing the four quarterfinals, which hopefully have the three Lions on board. (laughs) After this short break, we'll be delving into France 3, Switzerland 3. Welcome back. France 3, Switzerland 3. Bucharest. The team news coming out of it were Switzerland were unchanged, still sticking with Steven Zuber, left wing back, Ricardo Rodriguez, left centre back, Ricardo Rodriguez playing a huge part in this game. Meanwhile, France brought in Benjamin Pavard, 
Clement Longley and Adrian Rabio in an, what was a 3-4-1-2 formation with Rabio left wing back, part match in Switzerland and part because of the lack of left backs available. Luca Dean is now out for the tournament. Of course, he's out for the tournament. All the France are out for the tournament now. But uh, prior to this game, of course, Luca Dean was out for the tournament. Luca Hernandez fitness still not 100%, so he missed out as well. Rabio, I think, just hear me out for one second. I think on paper, on paper, that's a crucial phrase there, on paper, the tactic playing a 3-4-1-2 with Rabiot left wing back made sense if Rabiot pulled away to one side like he does in the 4-3-1-2 formation. It sort of makes sense in a hodgepodge kind of way, doesn't it? Because he's going to get forward, he's going to be more like, um, he's going to be wide and it, the switch should have been seamless. And then when he pushes up, Kimpembe was almost a left back. And then you've got Longley for Ram in the middle. And of course, Benjamin Pavard at right back. So for all intents and purposes, it could have been a 4-3-1-2 in that sense, in possession. And uh, with Rabiot pulling away on the left half, left side of the midfield. And of course, Pogba Kante in the middle. Griezmann coming into sort of infield a little bit. And of course, Mbappe and Benzema up front. But of course, that wasn't how it went, at least not successfully anyway. The closest France came in the first half was a long drive from Rabiot, so he was getting up the pitch a bit. Um, he was affecting more going forward than he was backwards, and definitely. Um, in terms of going forward, France were... They were off in the first half, weren't they? I don't think Rabiot knew whether or not to stay forward more as a midfielder or drop back to so more like a wing-back. And of course, that confusion in the role led to um, France's poorest half of football anyway. Um, in the first half. Nick, going forward, Nico Ovelde probably had at Kylian Mbappe's number fairly early. He was, he was alert to Paul Pogba's raking passes it would try time and time again, which of course is a fruitful avenue. Pogba just launches a raking pass and the quick, one of the quickest players in the tournament, Mbappe going to latch onto it. But Mbappe was off colour all game really for me. He had a curling effort saved, uh, killing effort wide rather and he had a similar chance in extra time which he should have just done exactly the same thing killed it into the far corner but went for his left foot and sliced it into the side netting in extra time um, alternatively Sylvain Vidma right wing back he probably wasn't alert to Adrian Rabiot bursting from deep acting like that midfielder and um, Rabiot probably their best chance I know Rabiot came closest but the best chance they had was Rabiot bursting forward clipping a crossing and it looked for all the world, Benzema would just nod it in. Goal, 1-0 France, sit deep and then control the game. But of course, Jan Sommer took it off his head uh, with a superb cross uh, cross uh, save from the uh, small Swiss goalkeeper. Um, for France, going forward, the tempo wasn't quick enough. They couldn't get through what was a fairly compact Swiss defence in the first half. And we all seen it. We all know how they're going to play. A strong defensive three, decent enough pace in terms of down the left. Kevin Mbabu came on and had a fantastic uh, sort of hour of football when he came on for Vidma um, when they were chasing two goals late on in the second half. And of course with uh, Freule, Xhaka, Shakiri, they've got quite a uh, decent midfield three there. And um, that midfield three was overrunning France massively. The French midfield of Pogba and Kante when Rabiot wasn't getting in the mix. He wasn't, he wasn't central as much as what he would be in a 4-3-1-2. I know he pulls wide 
but he starts from a central position and allows them out of possession at least to have that domination. Then when they're in possession, sort of tucks in, tucks out wide to the uh, to the flank and the midfield too. France Pogba, he doesn't work in a two for me, even with Kante, who does a job of two players. I don't just don't think it um, works as well, uh, which is why they play four three one two or four three three, whichever way you want to look at it. It's just numbers, isn't it? Really, um, instead. Kingsley Coman came off. Clement Longley was at fault for the first goal, came off. Uh, Kingsley Coman came on, rather. And um, Rabio was more of a left-back and in a 4-3-1-2, with a uh, 4-2-3-1, rather. And uh, all these numbers confuse me. Uh, with Coman, more of a direct winger, uh, more of a natural winger as well, uh, with Mbappe on the left-hand side, Graysman, of course, behind Benzema. They'll get caught on the counter. Couldn't break down Switzerland's lower block in the second half. And, of course... Um, the, the diving into the tackle was just a amateur move from Pavard and of course it could have been if the result of the match if the result of the match uh, went France's way which it looked as though it was doing in the late on in the second half um, it would have made a great what if video somewhere down the line wouldn't it Ricardo Rodriguez steps up to take the penalty if it had scored he'd have said France 2 uh, Switzerland 2 France nil. Possibly the games beyond France, of course, they showed a flurry in the next few minutes, which changed the game completely, um, which might have provided otherwise. But if he scores the goal at 2 0, that would have been a fantastic uh, what if. But of course, that uh, story doesn't need telling now because, of course, they rode back anyway. But France's tails up were after the penalty miss. Pogba was showing more composure, getting more into the game as uh, Switzerland dropped deeper and deeper. Um, he was showing a bit more composure. He scored one of the goals of the tournament, of course, with that superb curling effort and just stands there with his arms folded, celebrating for a full minute, only to get eliminated later, but that's by the by. Um, they only needed to burst through those gears in a five-minute spell, sat back, and they were there. 2-1 up, and then Pogba obviously gets the third. And um, they just couldn't find that second wind. They uh, shown, for, to be fair, Switzerland were deserving winners, let's get that straight and out there. Um they were deserving winners. Pogba and France, they provided in bursts, but they they did it the first time. Yeah, 3-1 up from 1-0 down, but they couldn't do it again. They couldn't get over the line and the quality in the extra time gave way for tiredness, for sloppiness. Pavard had a decent chance with a volley. Of course, that Mbappe chance that he skewed into the side netting was a decent chance that he should have probably put away. And uh, we should give it up to Switzerland, really. They travelled from Baku to Rome, back to Baku, back to Bucharest. They're the most travelled team They've clocked up the most air miles out of the teams left in the tournament and teams on a whole on the tournament, all 24. Um, you think that sloppiness might have given away early. The, uh, they were found wanting from an early set piece. Raphael Varane should have scored inside two minutes, of course. But you had Steven Zuber. He's only played, um, he only started two games. So he's got that freshness. He's got that impetus going forward. He, would, he was drifting more into like the half spaces between Pava and Varane, sort of capitalising on the on the defensive confusion for France, obviously they've never played a three that I can remember. The, I think in commentary they said they've played one game against Albania in 2019. So that's obviously not up to scratch in terms of um, quality that you'll face in a tournament, is it really? Albania in a throwaway qualifier in November 2019 when the uh, when the qualification's already sealed. You got Remo Farley who's drifting into channels. And Braylon Bola thought had a good game as well. He was uh, dropping deep, linking well, carrying the ball well, and um, as I say, I slagged off Harris Seferovic plenty of times on this podcast before. 
but a superb header. Clement Longley had no chance. I still don't know what Clement Longley brings to any team that he's in. Every time I see him, he seems to make a mistake. Maybe I'm not watching enough French or Barcelona football, but I just don't see what he brings to the team. I, I don't understand. Obviously, Aymeric Laporte would have been superb in this uh, French team. In a three, maybe. I, I don't think the three was a good decision. Ultimately, it's been proven that it wasn't a good decision. But Clement Longley, I, I just don't understand. Obviously, it was hauled off, off at half-time, and rightly so, as he went back to a four. And Braylon Bolo almost doubled from a similar header um, earlier on in the second half. And again, the, France just weren't at it defensively at all. He was, and Bolo was just terrorising the French defence. And there started to be a, like a passing pattern they found that the obvious weakness for France was that left-back role and the passing patterns were just switching left left to right to find Vidma over the head of Kimpembe or um, Rabiot and they would just hit that pass again and again and again and then as they started to uh, move into this pa- passing pattern Braylon Bowler was drifting out to meet the pass as well so you combine your two dead, new deadliest uh, tools there the crossfield pass and then Braylon Bowler for his pace and then Switzerland causing France all kinds of problems they were excellent in the first half and excellent towards the end of the second half. And they were still dangerous, really, um, against the French team in the second half when they switched possession, when they switched systems, of course. Undone on the uh, right channel, you got Braylon Buller teasing across in, could have been met, could, should have been met, really. And uh, Steven Zuber won the penalty, of course, with the t- tenacity. Perhaps could have lost the ball, but he kept going, kept going, turned. Um, Pavard, Pavard takes him out and unfortunately for Switzerland at least Hugo Lloris saved the penalty and in terms of shape they just collapsed I think that that goal really got them down for 20-25 minutes Benzema scores a goal that I attributed to Dennis Bergkamp against Newcastle the touch, the majestic touch and he somehow finds his way into his path again and he finds oh, what a goal it was just one of the best goals we've seen at this tournament really there were a couple by France in this game to be fair and um, we were seeing here, you could visibly see working through the gears by France and you see them against a dejected Swiss team who thought they were going 2-0 up. Now they're 1-1 and they were, France just smelled blood, plain and simple. Griezmann got his only touch of the ball in the box, playing, um, linking up with uh, Pogba and then of course passes it to Benzema. Heads on the line and two fantastic goals by France and... Benzema with his fourth goal, it looked for all all the world as though he was racing towards that golden boot now with Cristiano Ronaldo eliminated from the tournament. And inside a five minute passage where Switzerland could have been two-nil down, they were now two they were two one up two nil up, they should have been two one down. And they looked as though they were never gonna recover. Of course, Pogberg scores that world class goal uh, straight in the corner of the uh, top corner, it was just a fantastic goal. Easy on the eye. They look, never looked to recover. And then Kevin Mbappé came on, injected a little bit of pace, a little bit of um, little bit of intelligence to find the Harris Seferovic cross and uh, the man again, the Benfica centre forward header, and he just looked to be a threat. And that'll be something that Spain will be definitely looking to quell in the quarterfinals because that is a, a very good avenue for uh, for Switzerland to go down. Instead of his hold up play, get the ball into the box and let him head it. Um, which he did twice today, uh, last night rather, and 3-2. All of a sudden now, you're thinking, surely France, with their defensive uh, solidity, they'll just sit back, get the ball, maybe. I I was saying to my friends, this will either be 3-2 or 4-2, because France will sit back, allow Switzerland on them, Mbappe on the counter, any number of players on the counter, Marcus Tram came on, 
our fire is going to be far too. And Gavranovic had one disallowed. But then he was just given the freedom of Bucharest. Paul Pogba was sloppy in possession. Kimpembe was beaten far too easily. And he curls it into the bottom corner. Fantastic end to a game. 90th minute. Wow. Uh, Croatia-Spain might have been the game of the tournament. This equally has um, a stake in that claim for that. Uh, what a end to the game it was. Again, like the Croatia game. 3-1 down late on. Come back to draw 3-3. Switzerland, very, very deserving. Of course, that goal kickstarts a chain of events that leads to penalties. Nine penalties scored in a row and then killing Mbappe, hero of the 2018 World Cup. First teenager to score in a World Cup final since Pele in 1958. Gets the ball, timid penalty. Jan Sommer saves. Little check for VAR. See if he's broken the line, which of course is the modern age now, isn't it? And then it's confirmed and then Switzerland go through to the quarterfinals for the very first time in the European Championships. I said they were the uh, UEFA equivalent of Mexico. They've just abolished that, haven't they, with the penalty win over France. Of course, Mexico have got to quarterfinals before, but only in the home tournament, which is akin to what Switzerland did in uh, 1954. Um, we're getting the quarterfinals, but we're getting granular there. So, St. Petersburg, Friday, 5pm, Spain. And let's be honest, anything is possible now. <laughs> they'll be they'll be without man of the match, Granit Xhaka, the two yellow cards in his previous two games. But they do have Denis Zachariah to come in alongside Remo Freuler. And they do have, as I said earlier, Braylon Bolo, Alexander Izak. That's the game plan that Switzerland should match against Spain. Defensively stay stringent enough. They've got that, mid, that uh, defensive uh, three, which I think is coped more than enough um, in the previous couple of games. If they maintain Ricardo Rodriguez left centre-back, Steven Zuba left wing-back, obviously the midfield too, as I discussed, obviously Shakiri picks himself, as do now Mbolo and Seferovic. I don't think we'll see any changes to this, despite the quick turnaround. It's You can't... It's pointless predicting anything in this tournament. This tournament's becoming a bit like uh, Euro 2004 in its unpredictability, obviously. Then Italy went out in the groups, France got beaten off, Greece, again, this is similar to this. And uh, you had some dark horses like the Czech Republic, again, which we're seeing now. <laughs> so it's pointless predicting pointless predicting things, isn't it? So I'm not even going to bother. But Spain versus Switzerland should be a very fun game to watch. If Croatia can do them on the counter, Switzerland can as well, because they've got the pace, they've got the uh, ingenuity of Vimbolo, Shakiri, Seferovic, of course, which I'm now fully on board with, of course, after slagging him off for the past month. And uh, it's going to be a great game. Friday, 5pm, British summertime for that one. Now for France, what's next? Who gets the blame? And uh, they pick themselves up going again in their defence of the World Cup. They are four points ahead of Ukraine as it stands with three games played, so they should qualify with ease. And um, you can blame the errors like Pogba sloppiness, Presnel Kimbembe diving in for the third goal. You could um, blame Benjamin Pavard for diving in for the penalty that was saved. You could blame Clement Longley for losing out to... Harris Severovich for the first goal you could um, blame all those perhaps to a degree more so than the Kylian Mbappe penalty miss it's hard to blame someone for a penalty unless it's like a really shocking one um, and a plainly wrong decision which Mbappe's if he, if Jan Sommer dives if we're, we're talking a completely different game aren't we so that's the it's hard to do, it's hard to criticise someone for missing a penalty I think ultimately it needs to boil down to Deschamps tactics it was a wrong call to go three at the back where I can see why he did it. 
obviously I think he should, probably shouldn't have done it at the end. It should have been a four three one two as they as they have done. I thought, yeah, Longley might not be the best centre back in the world. Play him and um, or even Jules Kunde. Well, I, I failed to understand why he wasn't picked in that centre back berth alongside Varane. Play Kim Pembe at left back. He was clearly comfortable on the ball, isn't he, as a uh, defender? And play Rabio in that midfield alongside Pogba and Kante. And I think France win this game handsomely. Uh, maybe it was a bit of overthinking. Maybe if Pep Guardiola's in this, we just shout overthinking for 20 minutes on a podcast segment and then that's fulfilled. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Deschamps has to take the blame. He probably won't get sacked. He's got a contract that runs to the World Cup. Obviously, a World Cup winner as a player and a manager, the the, the faith is going to still be restored. He, if he wins that World Cup, does he continue on to 2024? Who knows at this stage? But that is over now. What is now is the... Big game at Wembley this evening. England versus Germany. I asked you who is going to win England versus Germany on the Twitter account. Earlier on this day, England take it 57% to 43%. FPL Tickle says England clear favourites. Germany have been very poor so far. I think defensively, that is true. Going forward, they're very dangerous, especially if Thomas Muller starts, which he looks to be fully fit and he will start if he's available which you know he has to really meanwhile Gerson's and Kimmich they do leave themselves a lot to be desired going backwards Gerson's is doubtful as are um, Antonio Rudiger and Ilkay Gundian um, I'm not too sure if Gundian missing is that much of a problem for Germany because there is a lot of clamour for Leon Goretzka to come in now there's a lot of clamour for Jamal Musiala to come in as well and wouldn't that be a story I'm playing against England. Um, I would say Ilkay Gundian, if he's a doubt, just remove all that doubt and leave him out of the squad. Let Leon Goretzka come in. And Goretzka, of course, scored the goal for Germany to get them this far. And um, Rudiger, in terms of, I think him missing would be a huge blow for England because I think positionally, I think he can be found out a lot by um, Harry Kane dropping deep. I think if Rudiger gets drawn to Harry Kane, Germany will have huge problems defensively. They aren't the best sort of running back towards goal, as we've seen against France earlier on in the tournament. Mats Hummels versus Raheem Sterling excites me as an Englishman. <laughs> against Phil Foden perhaps excites me as well with his pace. Even Bukayo Saka. So there is reasons to be cheerful for England. Of course, there's the doom and gloom of 1990, 1996, but that's old news, isn't it? Of even 2010, which some of the players will have remembered, of course. But you can say, you can use intangibles like it's burnt into the English psyche that we are predestined, preordained to lose to Germany. But as it said from the, uh, the press yesterday, late last night, early this morning, England will match Germany's 3-4-3. It's supposedly been leaked, which... I don't see any personal gain from leaking that. If you're a journalist, obviously Germany probably won't pay any attention to that, but still, it's just mindless really for me. Um, obviously, this is a big game in this half of the draw. The winner meets Sweden or Ukraine. Um, and now after last night, we should uh, be preconditioned to think that that's not going to be a walkover, especially if it's Sweden. But even if it's Ukraine, I mean, we have seen some big shocks already this um this knockout stage, this tournament, really. And um, also, the Anglo-Italian podcast says England should win it because it has to happen eventually, so why not tonight? And I agree, this is the best chance that England have had to beat Germany 
for a long, long, long time. The last time they beat them in an international tournament was Euro 2000's group stage, the time before that, of course, 1966. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think uh, this game will... Uh, be predicated on the history of it. It shouldn't do really. Even penalties, it shouldn't do because England have wrapped up that hoodoo now. They've beaten Colombia in a World Cup last 16 penalty shootout. They know all about them. Obviously, Germany haven't lost a penalty shootout since a European Championship final in 1976. So maybe it's Jack Grealish to come on with a Penenka if there is a penalty shootout and save the day and continue that clamour. But in terms of um, in terms of England's approach, I think. Two quick wingers, so perhaps Sterling and Saka, it's probably going to be Sterling and Foden. But I think in terms of game management, tournament management, Sterling and Saka for the first half at least to try and hammer home a quick advantage against, capitalising on Germany's wing-backs, Germany's slower defence, I think that is um, something. I think going back to the 3-4-3, a lot of people criticised it, I think it's the right thing to do. If you think of the Germany-Portugal game, Portugal played a 4-3-3 and got absolutely swamped in the wide areas. Kimmich was playing for fun, Robin Gersens was making Nelson Semedo look like a complete amateur and um, I do think that 3-4-3, going back to the 3-4-3, makes sense. Maybe even play Bakayo Saka as a left wing back. He's that versatile, I think that could work. I don't think he's going to do that. I think it'll probably be rather uh, Luke Shaw and probably going to be... The, the midfield is kind of hard to pick. Probably going to be Rice and Phillips, isn't it? As um, has been the case for this uh, for the remainder of this uh, tournament. Sterling, though, will... Uh, I am supremely confident that Raheem Sterling scores today. Um, becomes a hero for England, even though... They still clamour for him not to be picked and he's scored the only goals that England have scored and against this Germany team, I think he's... Um, I'm more convinced than ever that he's going to capitalise on this Germany defence than he was against Czech Republic, against Croatia, where he got his other two goals. Um, where Germany win it, they win it through their front three. And if Goretzka plays, they win it through him. If they can get the battle out wide, they win the match. For me, Kimmich, he should be playing as a six. He should be playing as a six in a 4-3-3. Obviously, that's not the route that Germany going down. Kimmich as a six is dangerous, but Kimmich as a two, as a right wing back, is equally as dangerous if you've seen his delivery, his crosses, and his energy all round on the right-hand side. He's still a threat from the right wing back role, so even if he doesn't start central midfield, he should still be feared. Robin Gerson's likewise on the left. But alternatively, England... They start off in quick bursts, 15 minutes, usually hit the post. Hopefully one of those will just sneak in the post this time, as opposed to the other three games where they didn't. And if there is a goal for England in the first 15 minutes, I think they take it because of Germany will need to come forward. They will come forward and from there, England can pick them off. Like France probably should have done with the two offsides earlier on in the tournament. That's the blueprint for England, I believe. And there's no reason why the game can't go... Towards England's way, Germany front three will um, trouble England's back three if it is a back three, their interchangeability, which is why I think Southgate will go with a three because front three being quite narrow against two is the recipe for disaster. Of course, if uh, the right back gets pulled out and uh, Robin Gersons has all the joy on the left wing back role, I think that is a very fruitful avenue for Germany, if Southgate does go over four, I think it'll be three though. And uh, that'll be the best avenue for 
England and the winner of this match surely goes on to the final. <laughs> but as we've seen from ye- from yesterday's action, as we've seen from the entirety of these Euros, Denmark are the biggest dark horses ever. Sweden are more than apt to uh, get far in this tournament. Czech Republic have come again, haven't they, after the uh, England game where they didn't perform too well. And it's pointless predicting things in this tournament. It's pointless predicting this game, isn't it, really? But uh, I'm going 3-1 England. A little bit of blind international optimism never hurt anybody. <laughs> and uh, Right, let's move on to the uh, to the afters. Sweden versus Ukraine, 8pm British summertime. Ukraine quite possibly the weakest team left in the tournament, as if that means anything nowadays after yesterday's result. We probably said Austria and Switzerland are in that same category, but Austria took Italy 120 minutes. Switzerland, of course, did the same with France and then beat them on penalties. And uh, anything can happen. Ukraine, I think, have been woeful in the groups via that brief Yamalenko exception against North Macedonia. But let's put that into perspective. It's North Macedonia. No offence, but uh, statistically one of the worst teams at the tournament. Got done by Austria. Austria by no means, you know, Brazil 1982. I I think Sweden, they're just better in most aspects. Kulazewski is coming back from COVID. He'll be fresh. He looked very sharp when he came off the bench against Poland. Another example of subs coming on and just terrorising teams. Him and Isaac should have the beating of Ukraine. Emil Forsberg's been one of the players of the tournament. He'll probably come up with something you'd expect against Ukraine. I'm almost as sure of a Sweden win here than I was of a France win yesterday, which can mean only one thing. Ukraine scab it 1-0. But of course, Ukraine have the man the boy up front, Roman Yaramchuk, and he does need a hat-trick here. <laughs> because the goal, if he does the golden boot train, keeps on chugging, I'm that much closer to uh, winning my bet, and I do believe in Yaramchuk. He will score, I believe. You've got to believe, haven't you? Otherwise, <laughs> what's the point? Same with England versus Germany, you have to believe from an English standpoint. But we'll be covering those two games tomorrow. So heads or not, we'll be covering it. And we'll, of course, be previewing the four quarterfinals where hopefully England will be repeating that 2018 World Cup quarterfinal against Sweden. But until then, till tomorrow's show, Sidi is coming home. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.